Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to this episode of The Milkman of St. Gaffs. Today I'd like to thank a few new patrons. First of all, Miriam, Department of Lactic Affairs Radio Clerk. Thank you very much. Chris Dune, Apprentice. Mary Rose Larkin, Fly Sprayer. And Noah Henriksen, Fly Sprayer. Thank you very much for your support. I really appreciate it. I also wanted to mention that I got a lot of really nice feedback about the episode called Birthday, where Howie had his birthday. That seemed to really hit a nerve for a lot of people, and so that was really nice to hear. I always appreciate hearing that. And uh, I also got a lot of questions about the song that was featured pretty prominently in that episode, and I realized that I've been a little negligent with the show notes and the transcripts. I should uh, be able to get back on top of all of that later on in in August. But I wanted to uh, mention that the name of the person who made the song was Ronnie Bar Hadass. The last name is H-A-D-A-S. And the song, I actually got the song through Artlist.io, where I get a lot of my uh, sound effects and and some of the music. And uh, it was really just one of those things where I I had this episode and I was looking around for a 
a piece of music for it and I came across that and the lyrics were just absolutely perfect and it just it gave me goosebumps it was such a perfect song for the for the episode and the great whaler must have been smiling at me uh, for for that uh, particular moment but uh, you can actually hear the song it should be available on spotify and other streaming services i i used a licensed version but you can uh, find her music all over the place uh, it's not just on uh, these uh, music subscription websites and so Today's episode is called Night Shift. It's time for The Milkman of St. Gav's, starring Howie the Milkman. You're a stupid, stupid boy, Howie. Don't you remember why you were sent back? I stumbled outside, my face still smarting from Stan's beating. It really seemed unnecessary to me. I'd done everything he asked. I was ready to go look for the whale oil he wanted to make the special gas that would win the war. I already knew why I'd been sent back from the grave. I'd taken on a tremendous responsibility when I took Stormy under my wing, but maybe Stan was right. Maybe I wasn't doing right by her. She was the woman of my dreams, after all, and we weren't even married. I looked up to the heavens to make a vow to treat her better in the future, but I was taken aback by what I saw. The heavens were much closer than they were supposed to be, and they were all lumpy. It was like the sky was a black blanket with points of light that were weighed down by a bunch of rolling boulders. It seemed to be just a hundred feet or so above my head, and I was gripped by this awful terror that the sky was going to fall in my head and suffocate me. So I ran headlong through the weird streets, a neighborhood I'd never seen and hoped never to see again. The houses all old and ornate and the air sticky and much too close. I tried to run headlong into the opposite direction of wherever I'd been, which turned out to be nearly impossible. The sky kept closing in. The stars all went out and left a rusty archway. There was a stench beyond anything I'd ever smelled before. I could hardly take a breath for fear of retching. It was nearly too dark for me to see anything. My feet were sloshing around in some liquid. Then I could see that I was in a tunnel. A sewer from the smell. I thought I was just going to pass out from the gas and drown in the black sludge. I made my way, step by step, but something curled around my ankle, and I felt, dear God, I was covered in the stuff. I got up, trying to hold my breath and taking little sips of air. My head was light, and I was seeing stars when, in some dim glow from overhead, I saw the shape of a ladder. I gasped hard and pulled myself up. The air got less horrifying as I went up, but when I got to the street level, there was a manhole cover with little black holes in the crisscross pattern of the metal. I pushed, but it was too heavy. I had to bang and yell, and I had to bang for a long time because it was night. It might have been ten minutes or two hours, but eventually some nice lady heard me. Oh dear, how did you get in there? I just fell in, can you please just get me out? She waddled off, and a long while later, a cop appeared with some kind of tool to lift the lid up. 
I scrambled to the top. How the blazes did you get down? What, you're a milkman? I didn't want to stick around to explain myself, and the copper was a bit of a pudge ball, so I just ran off. I got home and I had to knock since I still didn't have any keys. Stormy came down and opened the door. She pinched her nose. Where have you been? You smell like poop, Howie. I fell in the sewer. She walked away with her arm over her face. Well, get that stuff off. It reeks. And Mr. Dwyer was here looking for you, mad as hell about the lost truck. God damn it, I thought. He'd found out about the stolen truck. Probably he was going to blame me instead of the thief. I peeled off my uniform. It was all stained black. I got my soggy boots off and put them by the door. In the bathroom, I got a towel and rinsed myself off a bit. The towel turned kind of black too, but I just turned it around the other way and hung it back up. Then I had a shower, which was probably what I should have done first. I thought I might fall asleep under the wimpy stream of water, but at least there was a shower instead of a bathtub I had to share with everyone on the floor, like back in St. Gaff's. I didn't even eat the dinner that was in the kitchen. You're not even going to eat? I just went right to bed trying to understand what Stan had told me. I drifted off to the sound of washing going on downstairs. I slept like I'd been hit on the head and knocked out. There were disjointed dreams. I saw Stormy come in in the dimness of the room and get undressed, and I felt like a lucky guy. Look at this prince of the city waltzing in here without a care in the world. Listen, you sack of cat puke. I'm taking the money to fix that truck out of your pay, and you're paying for all the milk you lost, too. You found the truck? Yeah, some pencil-neck kid took it and ran it into a tree. The stupid bastard was knocked out. His parents say they're going to sue. What the hell's wrong with you leaving the keys in the truck? It wasn't my fault. I... There was an open manhole cover, and I wanted to close it before anyone got hurt, and I accidentally fell in. Okay, it wasn't my best effort at quick thinking, but it was partly true, right? You fell in the sewer. Yeah. With all that disgusting black sludge down there? In uniform? Yes. He walked right up close to me, looked me up and down. He grabbed the lapel of my uniform and felt the material between his finger and thumb. Listen, kid. You and I both know that you're full of shit. I don't know what the higher-ups were thinking when they brought you here, but they're going to figure out the truth about you pretty soon. And when they do, not only will you not be delivering milk ever again, someone's going to slip you a bad bottle if you catch my drift. I didn't say anything. Now get the hell out of my sight, you're late already. It was only a bit later on my rounds that I figured it out. I was handing some lady a bottle of milk when I noticed how clean and white my uniform was. How? Then it dawned on me. Stormy must have stayed up late washing and ironing it so I could go into work today. Back in the truck, I just sat there for a minute and let it all sink in. If I'd gone in with a filthy, stinking uniform, Mr. Dwyer might have believed my story about the stolen truck. As it was, he now thought I was a complete liar. I let out a deep sigh. In a lot of ways, Stormy was still just a kid. 
Of course, I loved her very much, and I knew she meant well. But sometimes I wished she'd smarten up a bit to the ways of the world. I made up my mind, though, that I wasn't going to say anything to her about the uniform. I didn't want to hurt her feelings. In fact, as the day went on, I thought that maybe I should do something nice for her. I reflected that it's really interesting how sometimes when someone makes an innocent mistake, it's endearing. Like when a kitten gets its head stuck in a paper bag, or when a little kid falls down the stairs. Anyways, the rest of the shift was pretty regular. When I was just about home, I remembered that I'd forgotten to get something for Stormy. I just went in anyways. How is work? She was reading a magazine on the couch. Fine. Listen, Stormy. Thanks for cleaning my uniform. I was going to get you something, but I didn't get a chance. She smiled. That was really nice. Okay, shall we go see the lawyer? She said. Sure, want to get hot dogs for dinner after? Sounds like a plan. And out we went, into the reddish light of the late afternoon. I bet you never had a hot dog before coming to Ming's Bite with me. I saw one in a book when I was a kid. I asked my dad if we could get one, and he said only the fanciest people in the big cities are allowed to eat them. Really? No, you dingbat. Yes, of course I've had hot dogs before. It was a nice walk. The lawyer, though, wasn't much help. He told us that he couldn't represent me because, of course, parricide wasn't an offense against the state. It was seen as an offense against the great whaler himself. The case was going to be tried in ecclesiastical court. So that was a pointless visit. But Stormy and I did get our hot dogs, and we had dinner on a bench in Redford Square downtown. This was the biggest square in the city, and there was a big monument in the middle with a statue of a general and a bunch of whales. We sat and watched all the people going hither and yon. We made fun of their clothes as the sun went down. Our bellies were full. We were laughing. And all the way back, I never thought about what it meant that I was going to be tried in a church court. I kept a low profile at work the next couple of days to try and smooth things over with Dwyer by doing my rounds really quickly. But one day, after work, I saw two priests in dark crimson robes talking to him. He eyeballed me as I walked by with a baleful smile. The priests were talking in hushed tones, but Dwyer wasn't. Yeah, sure I'll testify. That reminded me that the lawyer told me I should go to the Cathedral of St. Fleming on the east side of the city to find someone to defend me. So after work, I made my way over there. This was the extra poor part of the town where the pirate kids used to be. The cathedral was huge, made of some yellowish stone. It wasn't being taken really good care of. There were cracks in the stone where little plants and even a couple of small bushes were growing. I'd never been inside before, and I was really surprised at how dark it was. It was much wider than Father Whelan's church, and had four rows of columns instead of two. And the columns were huge, like the biggest trees you've ever seen. There were little sculptures all over the columns and walls, little devils and impish faces grinning at me, and a bunch of oblivious angels. The whale bones were way up high, and they were bundled together in groups and stacked on top of each other across the arches. 
I guess because the place was so big. But the bones didn't give off a lot of light. They looked dirty and dusty, and I guessed no one ever got up there to clean them. There were a few old men praying on the pews. One was in an old milkman's uniform, which made sense because St. Fleming was the patron saint of milkmen. There were paintings from his life on the walls, Fleming finding milk underneath a cow, inventing the milk bottle, bringing fresh milk to the thirsty apostles of the whaler. The whole place made me feel peaceful and at home. I sat on a pew and gazed upon the countenance of the great whaler up front. I just let all my thoughts roll around in my head for a while, until I saw a priest come out in long, flowing white robes. He had a pad of paper and a pen and seemed to be counting up the candles. I got up. Excuse me, sir? Father. Father, sorry. He turned around. He was maybe sixty with a rocky face. When he looked at me, it was like his eyes grabbed me around the neck and forced me to pay attention to everything he said. What can I do for you, my son? I knew from experience that when you want to ask someone a favor, it's better to do it in an indirect method. I'm Howie, a milkman from the island of St. Gaffs. I was an apostle of Father Whelan, and he always told me that I should come to this cathedral since it was the most beautiful one in the city, and his old mentor was the head priest there. He frowned a bit. Father Whelan? Portly fellow, loves fish sandwiches? I don't have any recollection of a Father Whelan, but I'll leave you to your prayers. He turned to go. Wait! He turned back. I also wanted to ask you if you could do me a favor. Yes, my son. You want to confess? No, definitely not. I'm innocent. He looked confused. I mean, Father... Abraxas. Father Abraxas, I've been charged with murder. The murder of my own father. There's going to be a trial, and I need a lawyer. A church lawyer. We were up by the altar, and I thought maybe he'd take me into the back room like Father Whelan used to do. But he didn't. He just studied my worried face. Then he looked up at the lofty ceiling. It is our duty to defend mankind against the gods through prayers and sacrifice. It is only fitting that we are well suited to the role of defense lawyers. But tell me, my son, you say you are innocent? I'm completely innocent. It happened because I'm a seeker, and so it wasn't even my fault. He recoiled a bit. A seeker? I don't think that's possible. It's true, I made the geyser happen on the island. Didn't you see the newspapers? I did. The Geological Society concluded that it was simply a fissure, a release of a large deposit of sulfuric gas. That's why the entire island now smells of sulfur. The island doesn't smell of sulfur. The reporters must be lying. I really am a seeker. I summoned a whale. He still looked very doubtful. I read about that too, but as you say, reporters often lie. If you are a seeker, we could consider an exorcism to drive the evil spirits from you. Sure, that would be fine, father, but could we do it after the trial? I will think about your request, my son. A trial is a major commitment, and I have my duties here. In fact, I've got to get back to my inventory. Come see me in a week. But I think the priests in red are already getting ready to go after me. I saw two of them talking to my boss. 
Red robes, you say? Yes, dark red. They are from the Order of Tertullian. They must have put Wilson in charge of the prosecution. And his eyes smoldered with anger. Wilson doesn't play by the book. He's always fudging his numbers, trying to boost his budget. Perhaps this will be my chance to expose him for the crook that he is and send him flailing into the abyss of fire. He was getting really worked up. Yes, father, I think that makes a lot of sense. I will take your case. Return on Monday afternoon and we shall go through all the details. Thank you so much, father. I turned to go, but then decided to ask him about something else, since he was there anyways. Father? Yes, what is it? Does it ever happen that the gods ask us to do things we just can't do? Yes, my son. The gods very often demand of us precisely that which we can never deliver. The whaler was unique among mankind for plunging into the depths and bringing back the first Felena. The gods love nothing more than toying with us, catching us in the snares and hooks of fate. The last part wasn't very uplifting, but at least he'd agreed to defend me. I guess he could really tell that I was innocent. Stormy was definitely impressed when I told her I'd found someone to defend me. I still didn't know when the trial date was. Probably I had to read through all the notices I'd been getting in the mail. On Friday night, it was finally time to go to the experimental labs to look for some phlogisterian. I took the subway up and made my sorry way through the ugly, muddy brown neighborhood to the gate, then past the cow electrocutioners. Hey, mate! When I got to the actual lab, it was a huge room full of weird machines. But the biggest machine looked sort of like a tall pile of oversized trash cans. A lot of them. Maybe ten, with wires and lights at the base. There was a machine as big as a truck with a lot of gears and knobs and you could push and pull them. There was a funnel where I suppose we were supposed to pour the liquid, and a spout where I guessed the other liquid would come out. It was bigger than the thermalizer, but didn't look as fancy. The milkman there wasn't very talkative. Hi there, Mr. Coxwell. I'm from the Milk Sciences Department. I see you've discovered the crepusculator. That's the machine that will make the gas? Tut tut. Better not talk about it, even here. Isn't Stan coming? He had to be somewhere else. What do I do? Have a seat on the stool, that's fine. I'm just going to fit these electrodes to your head. Don't mind the wires. Okay, good. I'll be monitoring everything from here. Now, up, get up. Good, okay. Now just step over here, please. Yes, right in there. But it's just a closet. Yes, I'm sorry. Ideally, we'd have a sensory deprivation chamber, but it's wartime, so we make do with what we've got. There should be a little bench in there. Okay, good. Have a seat. I'm going to close the door now. And just like that, I was there, freezing. My eyes took a moment to adjust. There was a cold breeze and I hugged myself for warmth. It was slippery and there was a light in my eye. I took it all in. I was on an ice flow and I couldn't move too far one way or another without tipping the thing. Any little movement and my boots slipped. There were other little ice islands all around. I was in some arctic ocean. There were icy mountains in the distance and I was facing the fading light of the low northern sun. 
What was I supposed to do here? How was I supposed to find any oil? I looked down into the water. It was pitch black. I still thought I saw things moving around down there. But if they expected me to dive down there, they were crazy. I just sat down to keep warm and sort of huddled there, watching the sun sink and sink. I shivered. It was almost silent, except the ice made cracking sounds. Maybe this is what the whole world was like if you took away all the other noises. Just silence and calm, except that the foundations were cracking and you could fall in at any moment. I got so cold I started to feel warm. My fingers turned blue. The sun never quite went down. I watched it dip and dip, but then, against all reason, it just started to go up again. The light was weird like an eclipse. Then, when I was just about to fall asleep from the cold, I saw, on the horizon, the black sails, the black hull. I thought I heard ropes pulling and stretching. The wind picked up. I stood. I waved my arms, but they were too far off to see me. Somehow, I knew there'd be someone on there that I'd recognize. I didn't know if this was a spell or real, and I thought I might freeze to death if I stayed still any longer. So I screwed up my courage and jumped onto the next flow. It was like slow motion and one of the scariest things I've ever felt, but my boot slipped out from underneath me and I fell right on my butt. It hurt like hell, but I clambered up. The ship tacked and was getting away from me. I jumped again and I landed on my feet. I jumped again and landed solidly, then again. And again I shouted and waved. I jumped, I slipped, I slipped right over the edge and into the stabbing cold waters. It was all black, and I jumped to my feet. All I saw was the light coming out from under the door of the closet. I slammed myself against the door and fell into the lab. Hello? I was still wet and freezing. I ripped the stupid electrodes off my head. There was no one here. The milk science guy was gone. I decided to just go home. But the door was locked from the outside. What a bastard, he just left me in here? I thought I was out of the woods, but the canary hadn't sung yet. I was so cold, there was no heat in here, and my uniform was soaked. I might freeze to death yet. I knew that if I panicked now, I might die. I had to stay calm and use my mind. I knew that without heat, I would freeze to death before the morning came. I also knew that machines get warm when you turn them on. The crepusculator was the biggest machine in the room, so it would be the warmest. So I set about turning it on. I flipped a few switches, I pulled some knobs, but nothing happened. My uniform was dripping all over the controls. I pushed the red button beside the spout, and some lights came on. It made a gurgling noise, and some drops came out of the spout. I was afraid it might start shooting poison gas at me, so I banged the spout really hard to keep it from spewing any noxious gases. But the thing started making even weirder noises, so I pulled more knobs, the noises continued. I ran around the back and unplugged the stupid thing, but it just kept going, and now smoke was coming out of the top. I ran to the door and banged on it. Hey, let me out! I tried the doorknob again, and the door opened. I guess I hadn't turned it the right way before. Who knows? Anyways, I got out of there as fast as I could. In the hallway, I ran into the scientist. 
He was picking his teeth with a toothpick and looked pretty shocked to see me. Oh, you're okay. Sure I'm okay, except that it was freezing in there. Did you find any of the liquid? No, I was stuck on a floating piece of ice. Interesting. He brightened up. Still, it looks as if you'll fare better than the last boy. Okay, rest up, and then we'll see you back here next Friday for another try. The subways aren't running this late. I'll have someone drive you home. A thin milkman with droopy dead eyes named Herman picked me up at the front gate in a milk truck. We drove through the city, and it was about 3 o'clock Saturday morning. No one was around. It was nice to have someone else driving. I had the chance to look around. It must have rained while I was out on the ice because everything glistened gold and black from the gas lamps and the moons. It felt like the city streets were exhaling in relief now that all the city people were done walking all over the place with all their busyness and noise. The houses and the pavements had a whole new personality when they were left to themselves, and I thought I had a lot more in common with the dreaming nighttime city than I did with the bustling daytime one. When I got home, I thanked old Herman and went in quietly. I took off my boots. It was dark. I'd told Stormy not to wait up for me, but I was a bit surprised she hadn't. I liked the smell in here and the feeling of closing the door and being in my own place. It was starting to feel like home. The weekend was great. I slept in a long time on Saturday and woke up in our sunny little room with the crisp, clean sheets. I just lazed around a while, and then we had bacon and eggs and tea for breakfast. It was heavenly. On Sunday, Stormy and I went for a long walk on the waterfront. We got some ice creams and watched the ships coming and going from the harbor. I decided to just tell her about what had happened at the lab. She already pretty much knew everything about my spells and what the milkmen were up to, despite all my efforts to keep it a secret. I mean, I didn't tell her it was a weapons program, but I did tell her about the closet and the ice and the ship. There's one thing I don't understand, Howie. Are you actually being transported to these places? Or is it just like a dream? Well, that's a silly question. Anyway, the episode wasn't so bad as some I've had. If all I had to do was deliver milk and do that every Friday night, this would be fine. And really, I'd seen Stormy smile more often in the past few days than she had for a long time before. Everything was going great until late Sunday afternoon. There was a knock on the door. We weren't expecting anyone. Mom? I recoiled and my stomach clenched when I saw her standing there with a dish in her hands. My first instinct was to slam the door in her face, but I felt like I just couldn't. I thought you might like something home-cooked for dinner. She held out the big dish covered in wax paper. It was heavy and warm. Thanks. Anyways, I don't want to disturb you too much. No, no, just hold on. I'll put this in the kitchen. I left her standing there while I went back in. Who is it? Stormy asked. My mother... What? Maybe she changed her mind about the case. Just hang on. I put the dish on the counter and went back to the front door. But my mother was gone. The door was swinging open. I looked up and down the street, but she wasn't there. How strange. 
Back in the kitchen, I peeled back the wax paper. It was some sort of shepherd's pie, my most feared childhood dish. The way she made it, the potatoes were always soggy on the bottom, and the meat was full of liquid. But I wasn't a kid anymore. I could assert myself. We're not eating this. Why didn't you just tell her you didn't want it? She's my mother. I thought that would be the end of it, but the trouble she caused was only just beginning. In the morning when I was trying to get to work, I couldn't find my boots. They weren't in the door where I'd left them. I looked all over. Stormy helped, but they were nowhere to be found. There was only one conclusion about what had happened, even though it made no sense. I flushed all the shepherd's pie down the toilet. You go right to your mother's house now and return the dish and tell her you need your boots back. I'm sure no one's going to care that much. You don't know that. Here, even if you're a few minutes late, you can't go in with no boots. My mother was still sleeping when I got there, so I had to knock and wait. And I knocked a few times, and I kept waiting. It was getting later all the time. When she finally opened the door, I pushed the empty dish at her. Thanks for the pie, Mom. Now I need my boots back. She raised her eyebrows. Boots? What boots? Really? I have to have my boots. I don't know about any boots. I just turned and left. Pointless. I went to the milk station and hoped Dwyer wouldn't notice my canvas shoes. But he did. What kind of a milkman loses his boots? What am I supposed to do with you? Can't I just go in my shoes? What are you, an idiot? No, you can't go out in your shoes. You're going to have to go to the quartermasters and then come back. You'll be out most of the day. And then I could see that some sort of idea was crawling into his ugly, splotchy head. He walked up close to me and I could smell his awful breath. Like a lot of the older milkmen, he had beer and porridge for breakfast and it stank. I don't know why I didn't think of this earlier. I'm going to do your route for you today, Howie, and then I'm replacing you. I've got another idea for you. As of today, you're on the night shift. There is no night shift. He put his finger in my chest like Billings had done so long ago. That's what you think. It's a special route just for you, full of freaks and weirdos. Maybe you'll make a friend. You go get your boots and report back for duty at ten tonight. But that means I'll have to sleep all day. I have a girlfriend at home and I have to prepare for my trial. He just smiled and his lips parted a bit and I could see his little brown teeth. Those are your orders, kid. You're out of my hair. Stormy was not happy at all when I told her. I told you you needed your boots. It's not my fault. How was I supposed to know my mother would steal them? She's insane, Howie. She's not insane. Maybe she wasn't before, but she is now, and I don't want her anywhere near this house again. Maybe you're right. Anyways, I'll have to do the night shift the rest of the week, but on Friday, I'll go talk to Stan and get it all worked out. I can't do Friday night night shifts and then do the experiments. That night, I walked to the milk station. I was already a little tired. How was I going to stay up all night? And who gets milk deliveries after dark? When I got to the station, there was a milk truck out front and a boy milkman. At least that's how it looked. He was shorter and wispier than me, and he had a really pale face with big brown eyes and this sort of frightened look on his face. 
In fact, as I'd find out, he always looked a little scared, no matter what. Hi, he said. I'm Joseph. We're going to be partners now. So you've been doing this route by yourself? I have. So why do you need me? He looked like he was about to cry. Because I can't ever deliver all the milk. Okay, take it easy. Let's just get going. We hopped in the truck. I'm Howie, by the way. He didn't say anything, just started the truck and drove off, looking straight ahead, spooked. He took a bunch of turns I didn't even think were possible. So, Joe. Joseph, please. Okay, so Joseph, where are we going? The Annex. There's no place called the Annex in Ming's Bite. I lived here all my life. I thought so too. He took another impossible turn. It's where all the artists and writers and antiquarians live. They stay up all night and they always want milk. And sure enough, we were getting into this area I'd never seen before, where the houses were taller. It was dark. Maybe people stayed up all night, but they all must have stayed inside because I didn't see many people around. The roads were narrow here, but not because it was a poor laneway like my mom's street. You could tell it was once a really rich neighborhood that everyone had just let go. The houses stank of nostalgia, even though I'd never been here before. There were little balconies on the third floors with intricate woodwork. I saw a few shadowy figures smoking on a few balconies. There were weird attics and little triangle windows in the garrets. Lots of cobwebbed stained glass and big ornate doors with the paint peeling off. The buildings didn't seem sure that they wanted us here, but I couldn't stop staring at them. I was drawn to them like no other place I'd ever been. Hey, Joseph, maybe if we split up the deliveries we can get this all done fast and then we won't have to stay up all night. We can try, sure. So, did they hook you up to the machines too? What? What machines? At the labs. They wanted me to get the stuff, but it didn't work. I'm not sure what you're talking about. He looked at me and I could tell that he didn't believe me. They put me on this route because they thought I could learn the secrets about the stuff from him. From who? He looked extra scared. You'll see. I didn't know what he was talking about, but I was enjoying myself. Mostly I knocked and put down the bottles, and no one came to the doors. But a couple of them did open up. A woman in a silky nightgown. The smell of cherry pipe smoke came out. I loved it. Another house. An old guy with a beard opened. He didn't say anything. The house exhaled some musty smell that came from my earliest memories. I loved this neighborhood. At the moment, I wanted nothing more than to have one of these houses and to live there. I wanted to look out the little windows and think big artists' thoughts in the strange round rooms with the climbing plants growing all over the outside. I would get up and make coffee in the musty yellow kitchen and ideas would come to me and I'd write on old crinkled paper, watching through the warped windows as Stormy tended the garden in the back. I bet it never got really sunny here. I didn't get why Joey was so scared of the place. It was true that as we went on, the houses got bigger and were more falling apart, but it didn't seem like we'd be here that long. 
The streets got narrower still and the houses were all towering over us. The peaks got pointier, the air got thinner, and it seemed harder to breathe. Then Joe was getting really agitated and a bit teary again. What's wrong? It's up there. We have to deliver milk there. So? I've never been able to do it. Why not? I don't know. We have to deliver it inside and I can't get inside. I was looking at him while he spoke. He stopped the truck and then I turned to look. It was a dead-end street with a big sign that said, Dead End. There were big, scared trees. But it took a minute for me to process what I was looking at. There were all these annex houses, and they seemed to be stacked one on top of the other, diagonally like a staircase. If I hadn't seen it with my own eyes, I wouldn't have believed it was even possible. We have to deliver up there, to the librarian. What does he want? Two bottles of whole, but he's never gotten them. I'll do it, wait here. Be careful. He's the one who knows. He handed me a paperclip for some reason and I took it. I leaped out of the truck and grabbed two bottles, the last two actually. I was going to show this kid how it was done. I walked towards the stack of houses, but they were further away than I thought. I kept walking and they weren't getting closer as fast as they should have been. It was getting darker. There were a bunch of really little houses that I hadn't noticed before. There were wood carvings on the fronts, images of little silver bean-headed people, and strange runes and markings I couldn't understand. As I got to the stack of houses, there was a black fog that made it hard to see. I heard weird voices, like they were chanting. I climbed up the first staircase. Somehow I knew the librarian was the third house, the black one. There was wrought iron all around the front, and I knew I had to get inside, past the black wooden door. Knocking wasn't going to work. I peered in the dirty window beside the door, and I could make out stacks of books and a wood table. I heard a voice, again like chanting, trying to tell me something maybe. It got darker and darker, and I felt fainter, like I was fading away somehow. I tried the door, but it wouldn't budge. In the twilight of my consciousness, I remembered the paperclip. I unbent it, stuck it in the keyhole, and started fiddling, as everything got darker and the chanting got louder. Before I passed out, I felt like I'd been enveloped, as if in the smelly wings of a blackbird. (laughs) 